return to Prakash Sharma's long-running legal battle, which came to a dramatic conclusion yesterday at the Queens County Criminal Courthouse. In 2015, Prakash, who was 15 at the time, was snatched from his home by the NYPD and bullied into making a false murder confession. He would spend four years on Rikers Island awaiting a trial while his peers went to high school and looked forward to beginning their adult lives. Prakash was convicted, and then he saw that that murder conviction overturned on appeal but was then forced to live under house arrest with an ankle monitor that tracked his every move. The Queen's DA's office was planning to retry Prakash in the hopes of sending him away to prison for basically for the rest of his life. But as his case uh, drew greater public scrutiny, it began to collapse. And yesterday at a routine pretrial hearing, Queen's prosecutors dropped all charges in the case to the astonishment of Prakash and his supporters. This is Prakash delivering the news outside the courthouse. I'm humbled to announce that today all charges against me were dismissed and I'm truly free. Now, this is a case the Independent has followed closely over the past couple of years, including a February 2021 cover story on Prakash Churaman's case that brought his story to a broad public audience for the first time. Joining us now are Prakash Churaman and his lawyer, Jose Nieves. Welcome both of you to the Independent News Hour on WBAI Radio. Thank you, John, for having us. Uh, I hope you can hear. Yes, we can hear you. Harrison, uh, excellent. Uh, Prakash and I are happy to be here to join you and discuss what happened yesterday in this, in this criminal case. Right. So, Prakash, let's start with you. I mean, before we get into the, the, the legal case, uh, how are you feeling 24 hours later? What is What was it like yesterday to get this news in the courtroom after the, fighting this case for so many years? What, what, what were your feelings in that moment? I, I'm on, Honestly, I was just, from the moment I heard it, I was just in a state of shock, and I'm still in a state of shock right now, just processing and digesting it all right now. Right. And, and did you have your ankle monitor removed last night? Yeah. Um, I went to the sheriff's office and um, they allowed me to cut it off myself. <laughs> How did that feel? It felt great. 16 months of having an ankle monitor on my ankle, man. And for me, I cut it off, my, cut it off myself. It, was, it felt good, man. What, what do you cut an ankle monitor off with? How do you do uh, that? Some type of clamp device that they had. Um, they just gave it to me and told me, hey, cut it off. Right. Wow. And and so, um, Jose, Jose Nieves, can you explain the official reason given by the Queen's DA's office for why they're dropping these charges? And and what do you think is the real reason that they dropped the charges? You know, it, it's, it's, a, it's a sad state of affairs when, you know, the stated reason of the district attorney's office was that, they dropped the charges because they no one had told them earlier over the last eight years that they were engaged in a illegal prosecution. Um, and had someone had mentioned it to them, they would have promptly dismissed the case earlier. But because they were not aware that they were engaged in an illegal prosecution, um, they, they, you know, they, they continued the prosecution and the incarceration of Bakash. Uh, and, and if you think about how absurd that is, you have an agency of 160 attorneys whose 
dedicated to being the experts of the criminal justice system, the people who are the gatekeepers, the managers of the criminal justice system, and they're claiming ignorance of the law, it's a sad state of affairs. Uh, the real reason, they couldn't prove their case beyond a reasonable doubt. They knew they couldn't prove their case beyond a reasonable doubt. Their case kept falling apart at every step uh, from the conditional examination of their witness back in September, and it rolled downhill after that. Uh, they knew that we would bring, we would bring in um, expert witnesses to show that Prakash wasn't even in the area of the crime scene at the time of the crime. We were going to bring in witnesses that will clearly demonstrate that he was manipulated, coerced into uh, making a false confession. And we were going to bring in uh, witnesses that were actually with him at the time of the crime in, in another location. So despite this, you know, evidence that they have and they've had for months, um, they refused to relent un- until I filed my motion to dismiss based on infancy statute, which basically called them out and said, listen, you should drop these f- at least five of the six charges because legally you're, you're, you can't hold them accountable for these, uh, for these five charges. And then they chose they, on their own accord to dismiss the criminal possession of weapon charge of violent felony because they felt, you know, if they're dismissing five, then why not six? Uh, the absurd statement um, in court was just based on them trying to save face, trying to deflect and trying to make it seem like there was somebody else responsible for the prosecution of Prakash. Right. And, and you said, you know, that there were at least illegal aspects of the prosecution. Can you, can you clarify what was illegal in the prosecution? So there were two motions that I filed, and, and I think that played uh, a critical um, turning point in their decision. One was to disclose uh, their documents, uh, dismissal memo, um, emails, and other internal documents that uh, related to the dismissal of another case, another homicide case, where Dr. where Detective Gallagher had been the key, one of the key detectives in that case. And Detective Gallagher was one of the key detectives in our case as well. Um, and that case was dismissed because he failed to provide exculpatory information, information that proved the defendant's innocence. And he also was accused of coercing a, a witness to, to falsely identify a defendant, defendants as perpetrators of the crime. We went across him on that information, and we wanted to make sure that we wouldn't have all the information we needed to do it. And they were, we were forcing their hand to give it to us under the new discovery laws. And then secondly, we, we filed a motion basically saying five out of the six charges that they do have left on their indictment could not be, um, could not go forward because they would, the, at the time of the offense, uh, Prakash was 15 years old. And under the law, he cannot be held criminally liable for those specific charges uh, without other charges being added to the indictment. You have to remember that at the beginning of this case, there were 17 charges brought against Prakash. Um, the DA dropped nine charges before the first trial. The, during his first trial, the jury acquitted him of two charges. So the six remaining charges were a skeleton uh, of what was intended to be the full force of the indictment against Prakash. Um, and what was left uh, was not legally sufficient because he could not be held liable 
for those five charges. Now, the sixth charge, which was a criminal possession of a weapon, he could have been sentenced up to five years. And they just chose on their own accord to dismiss that count. And I believe it's because they knew they couldn't prove their case beyond a reasonable doubt, not with that charge or any other charge. Uh, so despite the stated reason that they were uh, unaware of the law, I think the, the truth was they, they knew they didn't have a case. Right. And in addition to the legal battle, there was also essentially a, a political or, or movement struggle. Uh, tremendous uh, support uh, gathered around uh, Prakash over the years. Prakash, you had a lot to do with that, really organizing uh, this movement uh, from behind bars initially. Uh, can you talk about the impact uh, of the, the, the public movement uh, that came to your support? Honestly, yeah, John, uh, as far as the public support, I, I, none of this probably would even happen um, because these people are used to doing everything behind the curtains. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Where no one's watching. So when I started building momentum, started building support, community support, um, they saw that. They felt that. I felt it. I witnessed it myself. Every time I'm coming to each appearance, I'm wit- I'm witnessing the amount of support for me is is overwhelmingly increasing every time. Um, and I'm grateful for that. And I want to thank every single last person that has ever contributed support to me. Right, and uh, we followed this case closely. And as I mentioned before, we did a, a cover story on on your case in uh, 16 months ago. February 2021. What was the impact of, of having that kind of uh, uh, media uh, coverage? The impact was, was, was very impactful. Let me put it that put it put it like that because um, it was evident that the judge Kenneth Holder did not like it. Uh, it was evident that the Queens District Attorney's Office did not like it, um, and it just goes to show the power of exposure, the power of coverage, and the power of community building and, and networking and, and connecting. Right. Yeah, and just I, for I our listeners, uh, I, I'll, I'll just point out that when we, after we came out with the, that February 2021 issue, uh, you had a, a, a court hearing uh, that following week, and we distributed uh, hundreds of copies on the on the courthouse steps, and some of those copies made their way into the courtroom, and apparently one of those copies made their way into the hands of uh, a judge uh, Holder, who uh, uh, strenuously objected to uh, being described as having uh, railroaded you in your first uh, trial when he denied a, a lot of you some key witnesses. So um, you know, and of course, uh, Judge Holder is a former prosecutor himself, so uh, we were happy to get under his skin, but also more importantly to get the word out more uh, more broadly. Definitely. And John, it can't be understated though the impact of your article because based on that article, more outlets, more media outlets paid more attention as to what was going on here, why more questions were being asked as to why this prosecution is going forward and what is the evidence truly against Bakash that I think that they're not used to this type of scrutiny. And once they had the light shine on them on a case like this, they knew they couldn't, uh, you know, as uh, Prakash said, hide behind the curtain, you know. And that's their that's the gamesmanship that they like to play is they 
they do things in a in, in 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 a way that's very secret, that's very confused, that people don't understand, and they try to wear people down. Uh, they incarcerate as many people as possible, hoping they just give up and plead guilty. If they're released on bail, they'll they'll drag a case on for years just to try to wear them down to have them plead guilty. Uh, but when light was shown in this case. There, you know, that that pressure was too much to bear for the DA's office. Well, that's certainly the point of a community newspaper is to support the community. So so we're glad to have had any hand in that. Um, but, you know, you were just talking about uh, plea deals and and, it, you know, you shine a little bit of light on it. But it's so common in this country, in the state, in the city um, for innocent people to take plea- pleas because of the way the system is organized. Um, so, Prakash, can you just share a little bit about how you had the strength to not do that and why you didn't cop a plea? Honestly, I, I couldn't. I wouldn't be able to just live on myself morally, internally. If I was to sit there and, 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 and admit guilt to something I know I did not commit. Um, and that was just the main thing that just stuck with me. Like in my heart, in my mind, I'm innocent. And every single time I went to court, that's what's in my mind. Every single time they offered me a plea bargain. For the entirety of this case, they offered me two plea bargains. My first plea bargain was prior to my first trial in 2018. They offered me seven years to life. I declined it. I was wrongfully convicted and sentenced to, to life in prison. I got my conviction overturned. As soon as I got my conviction overturned, Melinda Katz offered me a plea bargain. I was still in the first. Take it. Time served. I said no. And here I am today. Right. And uh, we just have a, a couple more minutes here. And um, uh, last question. Oh, what what do you want to do next with your life? Uh, you, you have a, a, a um, an infant son and, and her mother. You'll have a family. Uh, what what are your hopes and dreams now that you are free to live your life? I just want to like I just want to start with with healing, man. Because you know all of the trauma that I witnessed and that I personally experienced, it, it's not going to go away overnight. Um. So I just want, I really want to start this process with a lot of healing and a lot of bonding with my family, um, going out places, you know, with the family, um, and obviously continue in the social justice movement because there are thousands of me's right now on Rikers Island, right now in upstate prisons for crimes they did not commit. Mm. And, and Jose Nieves, is there any, uh, uh, lawsuits or anything that you'll be contemplating pursuing against the district attorney? Yeah, there, there is. Um, I'm not involved in the civil side of the uh, the legal actions, but um, there is going to be a lawsuit. I, I understand a notice of claim has been filed uh, against the city of New York, the NYP, and the Queens District Attorney's Office um, seeking damages in excess of $25 million for the six years of incarceration and the trauma that was sustained by Prakash, um, you know, it, it can't be understated how one day incarceration can change a person's life. And at 15, he had to endure six years of incarceration. Um, and that's exactly one of the reasons why I took this case, because it reminded me of the Khalif Browder case. And ironically, you know, yesterday was the seventh 
uh, the seventh year anniversary of Khalif Browder's death. You know, yeah. on his, on the seventh year anniversary of his death, another young man in Queens was given life, and now it's Prakash. Right. Well, we'll I think we'll end on that note. But uh, Prakash Jerman and Jose Nieves, thank you so much for joining us on WBAI Radio this evening. Take care. Thank you. For thank you. Us. And we'll continue to follow this case. And also, um, we'll be back um, with more in a short moment. also just want to shout out our reporters, Danny Catch and Julian Guerrero, and our photographer, Sue Brisk, who followed this story for more than a year now and did tremendous work. And uh, we'll be back with our next segment in just a minute. Thank you very much. 